0: This episode of The Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf, is brought to you by New Club Golf Society, a humble community of golfers connected by our love for the game. Follow us on social media with the handle New Club Golf. So, Bob Peel, welcome to The Bag Drop. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks, Matt. You know, I uh, enjoyed a round of golf with you at Flossmore last year. Uh, and And ever since that day, I was dreaming of this moment of having you on on the backdrop because uh as our friends and audience listeners will will soon realize you know you've you've been fortunate to uh be involved in some some pretty cool things uh in the game of golf I
1: certainly have, and a lot of that is just pure luck
0: <laughs> better be lucky than good as they say <laughs>
1: right,
0: right. Uh, i I kinda want to start things off with um your your dear friend Mike Kaiser and, and kind of hearing where did you guys uh, first get introduced? When did you guys meet? Okay. Well, Matt, uh,
1: we met about uh, a little over 35 years ago uh, in uh, uh, Chicago. Uh, we started out a relationship. Uh, I became one of his financial advisors. Uh, at that time, I was with Merrill Lynch. And uh, around that a relationship. We de- developed a friendship. Um, and then uh, around that, uh, Mike Kaiser uh, strangely uh, was ne- not a member of a club in Chicago, in the Chicago area. He was raising a young family with his wife, Lindy. He was very engaged in uh, the sports and the school programs of his uh, four children. And uh, there just wasn't time. He did have a 7 o'clock tea time on Saturday morning for which he headed out of the city between 5 and 5.30 a.m. to go to the range, have breakfast, and play one of the Cog Hill courses in Lamont and um, uh, was back, was done by 10 or 10.30 and back home for lunch and Little League and soccer and whatever else was done. So I came along our friendship developed at a time when he was considering joining a club. And uh, a good friend of mine who had initially introduced him to me. uh, Suggested I take him out and play Butler and I said, uh, be delighted to and at Butler National in Oak Brook, which hosted uh, 17 Western Opens now called the BMW. Um, And uh, we he ultimately joined. His business partner, Phil Friedman, uh, also joined within a year or two of Mike. And uh, so the friendship grew um, as golf buddies and as uh, uh, he is a client. And, um, and then, it, then he started his quest to do his homework uh, and find out where the best Lynx golf uh, courses were in the world on his own. Traveled uh, to Scotland, to Ireland, to uh, Australia, to New Zealand, to Tasmania. And uh, about 1989, he decided that he wanted to build his own course in New Buffalo, uh, Michigan. So he hired uh, an architect by the name of Dick Nugent, and there wasn't enough property there to do 18 holes so he told Dick Nugent he says I've been, I've been to Pine Valley I he became a member of Pine Valley as well I think he still is and um he said I want a uh, I want a I want a course that looks a lot like uh Pine Valley you have a sand-based piece of property here and so Dick Nugent who also designed Kemper Lakes and several other courses uh, Designed the course. Uh, turned out to be the only nine hole course in the history. I think of Golf Digest, went top 100 rankings that made the top 100 as a nine hole course. Um, so that's how it started out. And from there, uh, the quest began in his mind uh, from being very well traveled and having the experience of being a hands on person with Dick Nugent designing uh, the Dunes Club in New Buffalo, Michigan, what he might want to do to bring Lynx golf to the United States of America. So that will bring you that far in the beginning of our relationship. Yeah.
0: And that, that journey, that, that mission of his, um, you know, it's, it's timely for members of new club right now. We have a book club and this prior month's, uh, book club read was the book, Dream Golf. And so as I'm, I'm reading it the whole time, I'm thinking about retail Bob, uh, because you are mentioned in this book, you are one of the original retail golfers. And, and I, and I want to dive in to that experience. I think that's where I'd like to spend the majority of our, our conversation. Uh, let's start where, what was the first recollection you have of Mr. Kaiser mentioning the band the, the project out in Bandon?
1: Uh, it was in 1993, uh, it came in, in the context of Oregon, that he had traveled both the West and the East Coast and believed that the uh, West Coast was much more fertile for uh, building a lynx course, uh, that there were more options there. And Mike, Mike Kaiser bought property in Medford, Oregon, and uh, on also on the coast, uh, the near the Pistol River. And he ultimately, once he decided that the abandoned area was more conducive to what he wanted to create, just one course, by the way, uh, he sold the properties in Medford at a tidy profit and Pistol River on the Pacific coast. And so, He told me about some of these things that he was doing, and then he decided to hire an architect who had never done any, uh, had never been responsible for designing a a complete course layout. And he said, uh, I want you to come out to Oregon with me and see this patch of land that's covered with Scottish gorse but happens to be on the Pacific Ocean and uh, so that's, that's how it got started. So David McClay Kidd was hired to do that. And uh, Mike knew that he had never done one before. Uh, as I mentioned, Mike is very hands-on. Uh, pretty much everything he touches, uh, whether it's business, uh, philanthropy, um, and golf, golf course uh, uh, resorts and developments, uh, he's been pretty much the same way—very me- methodical, very intelligent, very thoughtful—and um, uh, you could see it. So, in the book *Dream Golf*, which was written by Steve Goodwin, the, the first edition and the second edition, when Old McDonald's was added into the copy, um, Mike had uh, basically uh, eight eight in- individuals walking a rough, very rough routing of the first course at Bandon called Bandon Dunes. And um, we were in blue jeans and timberlands and and kind of all-terrain vehicles uh, uh, listening to what uh, David McClay Kidd wanted to accomplish in the first course. And on a hole-by-hole basis, uh, in person, walking each hole. And it was hard to envision because still, even with the routing, 95% of the ground was still covered in 8 to 15 feet tall Scottish gorse. And of course, I'd never done anything about helping someone uh, with a project like that. And uh, so what happened was uh, for three or four days, we we sort of trudged around the routing. We listened to David McLay Kidd, who has had a very, very thick Scottish brogue at the time, and a number of us had to ask him to say things over, so we understood it. And in the group, there was uh, friends of Mike from the East Coast, from the Midwest, uh, at various handicap levels, and there's a chapter in Dream Golf entitled, So, What Do We Think? So he literally asked each and every one of us that were on that trip as retail golfers, or I would call, call us also avid amateur golfers, what we thought of each hole's layout. You know, uh, and, uh, and Kidd had made it a point uh, to position the, the routing of the holes so that uh, they would all, there would be uh, north, south, east, west directions so that the wind would play different, uh, roles in how one would look at a hole uh, for the first 18, and uh, Mike's uh, intention was, and he he stated this and he stuck to his guns, is that he says I don't want one signature hole, which back in the uh, 80s was very popular. Oh yeah, you've got to see the uh, you got to see the 17th hole at Sawgrass, or you got to see the 16th hole at uh, Cypress. He said, I want 18 great holes. Why? Because there's nothing going on here. And this is clearly, and if you build it and build it right, they will come. So we had a responsibility as uh, retail golfers uh, to, you know, be on the ground floor and give candid advice. And I don't know really uh, if there's any person in my lifetime that I could say is a better listener than Mike Kaiser because he would ask us individually on each hole, Hey, what do you think? Uh, Hey Bob, you know, you're, uh, you're an 11 handicap or 12 handicap. How does this hole set up for you? You hit the ball 220 or 225 off the tee. If this is a dog left. The architect is saying positioning but bunkers here. Um, and, uh, a green complex that has these characteristics. What do you think? And he would ask the single digit guy and he'd ask the high teen guy and he'd ask the low 20 handicap guy. And uh, we would tell him, um, gee, you know, I wish we could move this green a little bit closer to the ocean, or I wish we could put a dog leg here. If that's what the architect thinks he could accomplish and agrees with. So we ended up, um, After three or four days uh, trudging through Scottish gorse with David McClay Kidd and Mike Kaiser as the owner, uh, wanting to create a wonderful link style course on the Pacific Ocean that would get people to leave wherever they were from, New York, Chicago, uh, you name it, uh, and come there and want to play it.
0: You know the the retail golfer or the avid amateur golfer core that you guys had assembled. you know i I love the theme of that throughout the book. You guys are involved in in many chapters uh, most prominently. and so what do you so what do we think, chapter, which was fantastic. but, uh, but I'm curious, uh, what was what did the full crew? Of retail golfers look like? Uh, Did you guys all know each other? Do you think some people were selected for specific reasons and in areas of focus? Um, Even yourself, why why do you think, uh, you know, Mr. Kaiser, other than being a a very close and trusted friend, why do you think he selected you as as someone to participate in this group?
1: Well, it was, um, I'll come back to that, but uh, it was a very eclectic group from the standpoint of backgrounds. Uh, one, one gentleman, uh, was a, uh, college professor, uh, who was a friend of Mike's, uh, from, uh, I think it was Bard College. Uh, one individual was in the Navy, uh, a colleague of uh, Mike Kaiser, who was an officer in the Navy, uh, Alex Hamilton. He, he was, uh, selected because it's basically friendship and a trusted relationship, uh, uh, in mutual respect, uh, and really wanting to hear what those two f- fellows had to say, his business partner, Phil Friedman, uh, who was very sharp and was also Mike's uh college roommate, was on the trip. Um, we had a superintendent uh, from a Midwest club who was very good at advising Mike and uh, David McClay Kidd on some ideas on layouts and uh, agronomy. Um, uh, There was an investment banker who was very close to Mike Kaiser, who was uh, about a 12 handicap, uh, Dennis Grabo. And uh, he was certainly an avid amateur golfer. And he was also a member of Butler National with Mike and I and Phil Friedman. And and then we had uh, uh, Howard McKee, who was not a golfer. He was a, uh, uh, he was with Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill. And he was the one that McKee's Pub was named after there at the uh, lodge. And he, he was very, very environmentally orientated. And he was able to assemble or create a strategy to help Mike acquire the land from various property owners without having the land prices go through the roof. And uh, so we all play different roles. And just as an aside, uh, and I think he's mentioned in the book, the caretaker for the land before it was bought was a very, very colorful gentleman by the name of Shorty Dow. And Shorty was with us as well. Shorty was a, a veteran, a Navy veteran, who uh, resided in a trailer with his lovely wife who was in Amway uh, salesman, sales, saleswoman. And, uh, he, he was a caretaker and that meant he had a shotgun and and he protected the property from people that were strangers that shouldn't be on there. Uh, very, very, very colorful guy, very religious guy. And there were a lot of, uh, you know, all-terrain vehicles that were, people would trespass, He'd find him out on the property and fire two shots in the air. And that would be the last time that those people would come around. (laughs) But uh, anyway, uh, so we all were from different walks of life, different uh, backgrounds, but we were all friends and we were were all avid amateur golfers uh, bordering on addiction. So he knew that uh, he could get us to be open with him and he asked the questions and we gave him the answers and sometimes he didn't like the answers but he said I appreciate that I'll take that into consideration so that was uh, in my case you know I you know we became friends through uh, uh, golf and back in Chicago and and uh, um, you know Butler was Mike's first golf club that he joined that up there and uh, he had subsequently joined Shore Acres and joined chicago golf club and joined beverly
0: uh, uh so and you got uh, him started he, you, you, it sounds like you took him from a trunk slammer to uh, having a country club locker at all these places that's exactly right <laughs> and you know he's done so many good things for the
1: golf world that uh you know he 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 gets invited to play here or there and everywhere and he says i i, I just finished a member guest at Cypress and I'm so happy they didn't ask me to join because I've got, I've got so darn many golf courses right now. So, but he has, you know, in Pine Valley and, and of course he owns the dunes club in new Buffalo, Michigan, which is exquisite.
0: And if you had a chance to play it, Matt, you know, we actually, we did Bob, he, um, approved our golf society to have, uh, we have a season long match play and there's different ways that folks qualify, but, uh, our finals was actually uh, took place on on a Monday at the Dunes Club this past year. And Mr. Kaiser was there with uh, Jim Urbina walking the, the property, and uh, you know that everything you're saying just just resonates in in his actions that we've seen. Because uh, for me personally, I wasn't even playing; I was just you know watching. Uh, I was basically the officiator of the the matches until we had a winner, and uh, it was one of my favorite days on a golf course anywhere. And it wouldn't have been possible without. Uh, without him.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: uh so you've experienced it and
1: uh you know for a starter course you didn't do so bad. The, the interesting <laughs> Not bad thing, at all. The interesting thing for your listeners is albeit it's a nine hole course, you you know, Matt, you know they change the pins twice a day. They have they have an average of four tea boxes per hole. Uh, And they you really get a feeling uh, once you make the turn and the pins are changed. You're you've got a different look and a different at a different at the same hole for all nine. And Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it makes it a very
0: entertaining and challenging place to play. Yeah. And, and, you know, from our standpoint, too, I think one thing that's very important about it is that, you know, it's kind of an homage to the original Scottish game and, and being able to maintain, you know, very high quality, uh, golf, uh, under simple means. And, and, you know, we've gotten to know their superintendents, their assistant superintendent and that, you know, they, they do things there very differently than a lot of private clubs, uh, in the area and, and produce a fantastic product for their members. Um, and, you know, the clubhouses, it's basic. It's simple. It's it's everything you need and nothing you don't, as I like to say. And I think uh, more of that is is going to be important for for our game here in, in this country.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's uh, Mike. Is a minimalist. Uh, you know, he likes the uh, enjoyment uh, and the focus of the experience to be the golf course. And uh, you know, you can come in, you know, you can come in just like they have at uh, uh, Sand Hills in Nebraska. You can make the turn. And, uh, they'll have a hamburger for you. Uh, and, and for many years it was done by the head pro and then you're back out for your next nine and, uh, you know, nothing fancy, but it turns out everything is great.
0: Yeah. Right. Now, uh, going back to Bandon, there was a story. I, I remember you telling us last summer on the golf course about the placement of the clubhouse. Uh, would you mind sharing how that went down? Well, yeah. Uh, you know,
1: we were out there on that trip the first time, and uh, I, I've been out to Bandon now 29 times. And actually, I'm going out for the US Amateur, which will make 30 in August of this year. And the first, you know, when we, we did the, the routing exercise with David McClay Kidd, uh, we had a, uh, uh, a challenge that we needed to have 18 great holes. And um, that meant that if we were to vote on each hole one at a time, uh, anything less than an average of 8 on a 10 was not considered great. And so after we finished uh, the 18 uh, and the the architect David Kidd had a flip chart and uh, one of the evenings, we had a dinner downtown in downtown Bandon. We all voted on each hole. And, uh, and when we did that, uh, uh, 14 of the holes came up as 8s, 9s, or 10s uh, on a composite. But several, I think four, did not. And Mike says, well, we're staying around here another day. And we're going to go back out and uh, look at those four holes and suggest changes to the architect." and the architect uh, will, will will weigh in and then we will revote. And as it turned out, uh, we the changes that were made that the architect David McClay Kidd accepted uh, were, were implemented and we ended up with 18 great holes. So we just we thought our work was done. We're leaving the property. Just before we, you know, get ready to turn the ignition key Uh, and go back to the airport and fly back to Chicago. Uh, Mike says, whoops, we forgot to pick a site for the clubhouse, what is now the lodge. And uh, so knowing we had to get back to the airport, Mike turned to me and said, uh, hey, Bob, uh, where do you think we ought to have the clubhouse? And I said, hey, Mike, that's good. uh, But I think isn't everybody going to get to weigh in on this? And he said, no, I just want you to, you know, pick the place. So I said, I actually have an idea for two places. He said, one is uh, on a high point, uh, uh, which uh, is, uh, if, for those that have been to Bandon Dunes, it's, uh, it's actually about 100 yards from the bag drop uh, a- toward the entry road. But it turned out that there wasn't enough. Uh, uh, structure there for ingress and egress for for bag drop and reception, and the site that it is on was was also. Uh, I said this would make a great site too, and, and he said, "Okay, good." So that's what we'll do, guys. Let's get in the cars and go. I said, "Mike, you know, don't you want to get these other guys to weigh? And He said, "No, no, no, no." He says, "I think I think those are two good choices, and I think this one where we." are were a little bit lower and a little bit more uh, able to put roads into and around uh, uh, to enter the uh, lodge area. We'll go with that. I said, "So why did you select me to to help make these choices?" And he said, "Well, I've never seen a guy work the 19th hole better at Butler National Clubhouse than you. So that's why you got selected.
0: <laughs> so that's
1: that's what that's what happens."
0: That's what happens. When you build a reputation, they go, they go to the source. Yeah. You can't shake it. (laughs) I love that. Uh, you know, everyone obviously today, retrospectively, uh, a resounding success. And, um, I think in some ways, you know, it might maybe takes a, a little away from, uh, the ambition of what this took to, to create that dream golf experience uh, you know, in the book there, it, it does show some of the skepticism, particularly it seemed from Steve Lesnick and some of the, uh, the corporate influence of, of Kemper who, you know, had that, that golf industry background, um, but, but obviously Mr. Kaiser was creating something very different that had not been done in the United States before. I, I'm curious from your guys' perspective, from the, the retail golfer group, was there the same skepticism? Um, were there doubts about the project? Uh, we had faith in
1: Mike, we knew he could uh, bring it in. I can tell you a, a story uh, about this time that he was doing Band and Dunes, building it, uh, the, the resort. I saw his wife, Lindy, at a uh, charity event in Chicago, and I went up to Lindy and I talked for a little bit. And I said, You know, um. Lindy, what do you think about Mike, you know, out there building? And Lindy wasn't really much of a golfer at that time. Uh, I said, what do you think about him, you know, building this uh, golf course out in the middle of nowhere in Oregon? And she, with unbelievable resoluteness and confidence, looked at me and said, Bob, I don't know exactly why, but everything Mike touches turns to gold and i said well okay that's <laughs> that's enough for me and it, and it and it's it's true in 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 some senses of that word because everything as you have mentioned, whether it be sand valley or you know uh Cabot links or abandoned dunes uh have turned out to be works of art and uh, I think that that was that that, that was my thinking about Mike before he even invited me out there to walk the course, he knew what he was doing. He traveled the world. He loved Lynx golf passionately. And he knew that he could bring something to America if designed properly, that would create an audience and, uh, a, uh, a successful
0: uh, resort, which he did. You mentioned some of the other dream golf properties, uh sand valley cabot cliffs now they're working on cabot point in st lucia uh have you lent your expertise to the retail golfer effort in those new locations uh
1: actually much less so uh, mike uh, re- actually refined the process uh for uh, sand valley and also for uh, cabot uh, both different types of situations but he he had developed a sort of a cabinet of people from Kemper uh and uh actually he has a wonderful relationship with uh the golf media including Jerry Tardy at Golf Digest who he would bounce things off of and of course I would go on the trips I would listen to the dialogue occasionally Mike would point something out to me and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this or that, what do you think? And I would give him input. But because he raised his brand and stature, he was attracting people to want to be around him to understand what he was doing, how he was doing it, why were they successful in every regard, in every uh, project, whether it was being done in a, a booming economy Or whether it was being built, you know, in 2009, 10 or 11, uh, when things were were going very poorly and golf courses were closing down and country clubs were uh, closing down all over the country. So uh, I was less involved uh, than I was in the Bandon project. uh, And I've always been very, you know, Bandon has the warm spot in my heart
0: yeah, it'll always be the first of this this bunch um, and a a special one for American golf. does the uh, the drive of Mr. Kaiser? Do you think you know he's clearly not slowing down? Um, his sons, who i I've been fortunate to chat with on on different occasions, have that that same approach, that same drive, ambition, and and kindness, I'll say, to to everything they're doing um you know where wh- where do you think obviously he's passionate about the game of golf but uh do you think these these courses are serving a a, a grander purpose or anything that you know I know you you, you are a member of Shivas uh, iron Society and and just similar to you know our collection of avid golfers at new club there there's this element of uh depth to the spirit of places like Bandin and sand valley that, that really connect people. And, and and I'm thinking of, you know, as an example, we we read dream golf when I went out there in 2013 and everyone I played with, we all left a little quote in the book. And if you read these quotes, you can tell, you know, these are, these are not, uh, normal golf experiences. These are, these are very, very special to, to us. And they're going to hold a place in, in our, our hearts for a long time. Um, I'm curious, from your perspective, whether it be Shivas or uh, or these other groups that that almost make it a pilgrimage. You know, is that is that intentional? Do you think that's maybe a part of the the, the motivation to keep producing uh, this type of, of golf?
1: Uh good question,
0: Matt. I would say, and I've talked to
1: Mike about this. Uh, what Mike has done, and I think he's done it with intention. Uh, is building golf courses that will be legacies and be playable 200, 300, 400 years from now um, that have that, not just the beauty of the links, you know, I've mentioned to you before that when you play a, a course that Mike's involved with and Mike's family now is involved with, he makes sure that every hole... Uh, has you know the three elements fun with a big in capital letters cuz you can you know in all the holes you can approach the green with almost every any shot in the bag or run up you know pinch a pinch a wedge and stop it you can you, you can r- roll up a uh, hybrid you can putt from 100 yards if you're so inclined And so fun is fun is at the core of what he does. And then, of course, vistas, Uh, the vistas that he has, whether he's there's water involved or not, are just breathtaking. Uh, And then the shot values, Uh, you know, where he always puts out there, it gives you a fair space uh, with each architect, you know, understanding it. Gives you a fair play, fair space to land your your ball on the fours, par fours and the par fives. Um, he doesn't like you to have to be looking for golf balls, so you have 50, 60, 70 yard wide fairways in many cases. Since and you know because you've played them, um, and then uh, shot the shot values the shot into the to the green is is you know, is, is, is challenging, uh, and you feel really good when you can hit the green and keep it on the green and um, and so when you put that combination together those types of layouts are going to be around for many many years to come and you know centuries I think just like if you look back at uh, the old course at uh, St Andrews
0: it certainly those are the, the it seems that they've survived those uh those principles of fun vista shot values uh, they're, they're definitely standing the the test of time over in uh the lynx land of scotland ireland and, and england so yeah I, I just uh fascinating so so neat. yeah so neat. to see
1: i mean you've got di- di- completely different types of architects and david mcclay kidd and tom doke and bill cord and ben crenshaw and dick nugent And I know he engages uh, Gil Hansen conversations, uh, Jim Urbina, all kinds of different people. But because he's such a good communicator, he doesn't tell them what to do. He he says, this is the experience I want to have when anybody that comes out as a guest at Bandon or the other resorts. Walks off the 18th green and says, I can't wait to play that again. (laughs) And darn it. You know, you don't even have to script it. The first timers that I play with and we walk off the 18th at, you know, at Sand Valley or Mammoth uh, or, you know, any of the five courses, uh, soon to be six at uh, Bandon or uh, both courses at Cabot. I, got, I want another crack at that. That was really, really fun. And uh, that's, that's what he created. And that's what they think. And that's what they say. And that's what they feel. And that's why they keep coming back.
0: Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about those architects because we we opened up to our uh, our book club <laughs> channel uh, some submitted questions. I I just mentioned we'd be doing a podcast about Bandon, and uh, we had a bunch of questions submitted. A lot of them had to do with uh, with the architects. So uh, let's start with David McLeigh Kid because uh, I I loved uh, Mr. Kaiser's. Quote about it, it's in one of the chapters about why he hired David McClay Kid, and I think it was three points. He he was Scottish, so he must know something about golf. Uh, he was young, so he might have to listen to him. And and that, <laughs> number three made me laugh, but it, it really did make sense too that he could fire him at, at any time because he was a new architect. and And I thought about that for a second, and I go, wow, you know, it, it seems harsh, but I love the balance of his optimism, romanticism of, you know, he's Scottish, <laughs> all the way to mm-hmm. the pragmatism of, hey, we, we needed to have control on something so ambitious and so, um, so out there. That uh, I, I, What were your interactions with David McLeod Kidd? He was obviously uh, new to his own projects. Um, did he seem open to the, the retail golfer's suggestions, or, or was it really a, a, a conversation with Mr. Kaiser? No, no, he was open. Uh, I think Kaiser told
1: him to be open.
0: Um,
1: you know, at that time, he was in his uh, er, mid-late 20s. And um, I think he saw the, uh, the cohesiveness that Mike had with the retail golfers uh, that were his friends, and he listened. Um, ultimately, it was, you know, as is anything that's significant, uh, the decision rested with Mike, uh, but he gave he gave the architects latitude to do uh, a routing. He didn't, you know, what do they call it? artistic license? He gave them license with within reason. One of the things that existed uh, with every hole at Bandon Dunes was uh, at least the first eighty five holes at Banded Dunes was. Um, the grassing of the greens. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that Mike never wanted to have was a clown's mouth experience where you're putting to a, a, a hole and you end up, a uh, ball goes off the green into a bunker. Uh, what does that do with fun? It kills it. Um, just like what does it do with fun when you lose a ball? You got everybody looking for a ball. He, he takes care of that with wide fairways. So um, he, you know, I've seen him converse with Kid and Doak and Core and Crenshaw, and uh, they they get him, and he gets he gets them. Uh, so when it comes time for a green to be grassed, Mike has to physically walk it 360, 360 degrees over and over, throwing balls around and seeing what happens to them from five, six, seven different directions to say, okay, that area over there is not going to be too good for the retail golfer who is my, my customer, is my guest. And uh, he'll recommend uh, something minor. And uh, the, the architects will take it into... Uh, uh, consideration and, and, you know, make a change. And, and then Mike will go back and look at it again and say, okay, I think he can grasp the greens. Imagine a conversation like that with Ben Crenshaw. Ben <laughs> Crenshaw is really the guy that's focused with Core Crenshaw on the greens and the green complica- complexes as one of the best putters in the world uh, for many, many years. And, um, but Ben would listen. And Ben would say, you know, OK, I think maybe we could, we could modify that a little bit. And Mike would come back and say, OK, let me know when you're done. And Mike would go out and, and invariably, they, Mike is such a good communicator, they would get him and get what he's saying. And they'd make these minor tweaks and, and uh, he'd say, OK, let's walk it again and throw some balls around and, grass. and then we can grass the green. And that's what happened on all 85 greens. And with, you know, with those... Those four guys, Kid, Doe, Cor, and Crenshaw, they're all different. They're all built differently. Uh, they're all passionate, like Mike. Uh, but, you know, that was the grassing of the greens is something that, you know, it's not like uh, Mr. Rich guy calls up uh, uh, Pete Dye and says, hey, uh, you got full discretion, build me an 18 hole course. And then you end up with something diabolical and your guests aren't going to return, and they're not going to be feeling really, really fulfilled when they're flying back to Chicago or wherever from Bandon Dunes because they've all had some ESPN moments, some highlights where they were able to do something spectacular that, that made it so much fun on some of the holes.
0: Did uh, You mentioned Doke and uh, one of our um, submitted member questions here from Tim Shermer. He was curious, you know, that there was, he was a young name. He um, w- clearly was in contention for the first project, but I, but I I think the book even said he was more uh, controversial at the time to go with. Was, I, I would have to imagine, and just knowing, listening to Tom Doak on, on many other podcasts, um, that he's a very opinionated guy. And, and he has his, his strong beliefs. And I, I was curious if the interactions with, uh, with Tom were uh, more challenging in a way or, or just, just different. Yeah.
1: Well, um, different from David McClay Kidd, who, you know, Mike said he could fire him. Um, Delk was uh, not as uh, receptive to comments by the retail golfer, by the amateur. Uh, avid Amateur. Uh, in fact, sometimes he was insulted. Um, and I had uh, I had a I had a hole on Pacific Dunes that you know drove me nuts. Uh, I believe it was the uh, the sixth hole, which is a uh, uh, par three. And uh, no, I'm sorry, it was a par four. It was a short par four, about 340 yards. And you hit the ball off the tee down to uh, a landing area on the right. And then you have to have a very precise wedge in, preferably with some spin on it. And if you miss the green, it, it rolls back down to a collection area on the right. Or if you miss it left, it goes into a bunker on the left that has a 40 foot high lip. And uh, the green was so small. And uh, one time when I was uh, uh, at, a, at an event, on the opening of uh, a course out in Colorado called uh, Bally Neal, Uh, I talked to Tom after I ended up playing the 18th hole and we're walking back to a trailer, which is is a temporary pro shop. And I said, hey, Tom, you know, that's sixth hole on Pacific. uh, At par four, yeah, yeah, I know which one you mean. I said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about, you know, tweaking the green a little bit, making it a little bit, Larger, so that the average 15 handicap golfer would have half a chance to hit the green and have it stay on. And we had about a hundred yard walk from the 18th hole there at Valley Neal to the trailer where I was going to buy a shirt. And I put that there and I put that comment out to him and he looked at me and didn't say a thing for a hundred yards. What he was saying, I think, was, look, this is not your business. Uh, I, I'll, I'm will i the artist. I'm the architect. I'll do it the way I want to do it. And, of course, that was not, he couldn't get away with that with Mike, but he could get away with that with, you know, with me. So he was a completely different personality. And, uh, uh, you know, he was very opinionated and, you know, his opinion uh, usually dominated unless Mike, said something uh he, he needed to look at
0: yeah i i love I'm, I'm excited to see uh tom Doak's new course at the sand valley properties um you know with i think from what i hear of it it's just going to be obviously under uh regulation par if you want to call it that of 72 something somewhere in the 68 69 range for uh for the par on the on a scorecard but um uh, I know he, he's, he's bold, you know, and I think the guy will take risks and I'm sure working alongside the, the Kaiser family, it's going to be something special. And and I was blown away with Dave McLeay kids, um, mammoth dunes from, from the standpoint, and I'm sure this is the intention of so many of the conversations you guys had had at Bandon, you know, I, my dad who won't admit it, his, his handicap has been skyrocketing for the last decade and doesn't hit it as far and uh, you know, hard to get him to the next set of tees. But you know, him and I played the same set of tees at Mammoth Dunes this past fall. And it was one of the, the most fun days on a golf course that him and I had had um, because it really so successfully more, more so than maybe any course I've played uh, holds the interest of, of the low amateur and, and, and the high handicap player. And uh, I just, I, I love that. And, uh, I've played dope courses where I don't always feel that's the case, but um, but I know he 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 has that principle as well in mind.
1: Yeah, and uh, David McClay Kid, you know, I walked the course with him and Mike a couple of times, and then I walked the course uh, with uh, David McClay Kid and uh, Young Mike Kaiser. Um, and the Mammoth course is, besides from being mammoth, is a lot of fun uh for all levels because of the size of the greens so like if your dad uh usually hit four to five greens per round here he's hitting nine or ten and he may have some long long lag putts but he's hitting greens and that feels good because you know what it's like when you hit an approach shot and your next move is to grab the putter out of your bag uh versus okay i got to take two wedges i got to take a putter you know, and so he accomplished it. And what he said consistently, David McClay Kid, was, "I'm building a course here, designing a course here, that defends against birdie." Now, all of the classic architects like to have a uh, their their uh, their mandate to be building a course that defends against par. So when you put a track together that's defending against birdie you know that the retail golfer is going to love a lot of that experience and uh so uh i think that uh, uh dave mcclay kid nailed it and uh and and yet with the same fun aspects that you have at bandon bandon dunes course that he designed where you can get to that hole in a number of different ways uh depending on the wind depending on the, the terrain, uh, you know, and whether there's a run-up area or not a run-up area. But it's, you know, the uh, you know the, the mammoth course is is one that you lead the 18th hole, and you can't wait to come back and play it again. Bingo. That's what Mike
0: wants. So w- this has been just fantastic. I mean, after having so recently reread Dream Golf, I, I find all this fascinating. We could go on for hours but um maybe i'll get into some uh, quicker shorter answer questions for you just to get a sense of of mr peel and who we're, who we're talking to so um let's start with the topic of band let's just go with your favorite course out of the four um banded and you can include the sheep ranch if you've already uh, experienced that yeah um you know the standard answer is you
1: know, it's, if you have five kids, which one do you like the best? And you you can't say <laughs> which one you like the best, but I can. I think Band and Dunes, the first course, I love the other courses, uh, but I think Band and Dunes evolves. And even when David McClay Kidd came back a year or two after it was originally uh, completed, he... Uh, did some significant tweaking to the left side of the 16th hole, which is, you know, an amazing hole, you know, in, in an, in an infinity green, but he gave the golfer more places to land the drive than it was when it was a much tighter, uh, landing area. So, um, there's so many, you know, there's the, 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 five or so out of the last finishing holes are just awesome. I mean, you get uh, the par three uh, 15th, uh, the 14th, which has that big, you know, high mound that's, and there's a ton of wind to deal with. And then the 13th, which is a really, really challenging par five and, and 12, the par three right into the wind uh, with a big bunker right in front. And lo- it's a thinking man's uh, hole. I mean, a- actually, it's a thinking man's course. So uh, I'd have to say Bandon Dunes is my favorite if if I was asked to give a short answer.
0: I like it. What about anywhere? You've been fortunate to play golf all around this this planet of ours. Um, is there a, a course that sticks with you as as your favorite? Well. Um, Mike and I
1: have played a number of what he he calls hidden gems. You know, these may not be ranked in any of the top 100s with Golf Digest, Golf Magazine, Golf Week, uh but uh there are some really enjoyable courses uh that uh I I would say three that three that I like uh, our shore acres in uh, the North Shore of uh, Chicago. Um, I, uh, I like, uh, and I'm going to go back, but I, 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 lo- I love Pacific Dunes. Um, if I was, you know, you know, and then I, you know, there's, there's probably a couple others uh, for a variety of other different reasons, but Chicago Golf Club. Uh, CB McDonald design with all the specimen greens, uh, and then finally National Golf Links in uh, uh, on Long Island, uh, uh, just outside of Southampton. Those would be the ones that I would immediately say yes.
0: I'm uh-uh. count me in. <laughs> That's a pretty good list. Yeah, those yeah. those are definitely those are nice. <laughs> um, how about uh, you know I I got to play with you last summer and uh, I, I mean, it, it was really a joy. You know, I think we only played nine holes. You had somewhere to be, but we were playing with our mutual friend, Dr. Joe parent, and I'm always, uh, t- trying to take things from people that, um, I enjoy to play with. And there was just some, you know, elements to, uh, both your golf game and, and, um, the conversation that I just, I really enjoyed. Uh, But I'm curious for you. Who was some of your golfing role models that you've played with, and and tell us why? Oh,
1: okay. Um, Well, uh, I definitely enjoy playing with Mike. I played about 250 rounds with him over the last 35 years, and every converse. There's nothing ever that's boring about Mike. He brings things up. Uh, whether they're funny or whether it's business or whether it's about what's going on in the world, uh, you know you're always going to have a great walk. Uh, the score is secondary. And uh, uh, when you finish and have a pop or two afterwards uh, to reflect, the reflection is, is always very, very uh, uh, entertaining and pithy. In in some regards, Uh, so I would say Mike is uh, one of my favorite guys. uh, Friendship aside, to spend time with uh, on the golf course, Uh, and uh, you know, I would I've I've played with uh, a variety of uh, other good, good friends. Um, There's a there's a gentleman who is the tournament chairman. For the uh, BMW, which is in the FedEx uh, Rota uh, at Olympia Fields, a uh, fellow by the name of Mike Bruni, who is a really solid three or four handicap, but he's, he's, uh, he's a very uh, entertaining, fun, intelligent guy like Mike. And in fact, I put Mike Kaiser and Mike Bruni together because uh, I enjoy their company very much and they're both good friends. Um, and I would say, um, there's one other individual that, uh, uh, I really enjoy and, uh, who I admire, who is a uh, Evans Scholar graduate uh, of the University of Wisconsin from the Evans House and has been extremely successful and in life and in business and has made it his business to give back in significant amounts of money and other ways to the evans scholarship um, and his name is john verbacle john is a really solid guy and again a walk uh 18-hole walk with him the conversations watching him execute he's i think he's about a five handicap uh those three guys mike kaiser mike bruni and john verbackel would be my my the guys that i respect enjoy and admire um and i can go
0: through a whole bunch of others but i'd say those two or three good company great company yeah, yeah the, Evan, the evans program has been a big part of of uh our golf lives here too we we try to support them uh in a number of different ways and uh they're they're launching a program at, the South um, South Shore Golf Course and Jackson Park Caddy Program, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get that off the ground, and and we're going to try to get uh, you. You'll appreciate this. Just a, a pre-work, so you know teeing off at dawn, right as the sun comes up. Take a caddy, walk in two hours, two and a half, and get into your desk. Uh, that's kind of the goal, and and give some some kids an opportunity to learn the game of golf and. Uh, you know, carry a bag, make some money. So yeah, great, great program yeah. there at Evans. And Mike uh, Kaiser is, you know, he's the, uh, he doesn't
1: want this known, but I'll say it anyway. He's the largest living contributor to the Evans scholarship, uh, fund. He's helped literally thousands of young men and women get full rides to great universities. And, uh, he has, uh, just made a huge impact. I mean, even in Oregon, he was instrumental in helping uh, the University of Oregon uh, build a, uh, a new Evans house where they had no Evans house. Uh, and I think they're starting one at Notre Dame too, but uh, he puts his money where his mouth is. Mike was a caddy. I was a caddy. Uh, John Verbakla, of course, is an Evans scholar. He was a caddy and. Uh, He knows what it's like being on the other side of the bag. And he knows that people don't, you don't start off uh, with the same advantages. Uh, And if you can help level the field and make be a difference maker, have an inflection point uh, for some of these young uh, lads that are 13, 14, 15, 16, and wanna figure out a way to go to school. You know, Mike has helped so
0: many in so many different ways. Yeah, and and hopefully, you know, maybe at this this current time, I know many golf courses have uh, shut down operations, but you know others are still taking precautions and and letting folks take uh, uh, carry their own bag or walk. But, but I really hope that walking bug that you know Mr. Kaiser has, has started to uh, get more people thinking about it, as his resorts are walking only. You know that's how the game was was meant to be played, and and I really hope that. Uh, through this, people are are going to start to realize, you know, maybe leave the cart in the cart barn. Maybe take a caddy. Um, you know, walk. It's it's really my my hope to see more of that. I, I really I think our our game in the the states needs a lot more of that. Well, yeah, Matt, and you know, of course, across the
1: back of almost every hat that he sells at Bandon, it's it's the slogan is
0: right there: golf as it was meant to be. I think that's a a good place to to wrap up, Bob. Thanks for taking the time to to chat with us today. I know our our members and listeners are gonna really enjoy your your experiences, your perspective, and on a personal note, I I just want to say thank you for your your involvement. You know, I I don't think uh, I would have started New Club Golf Society as my full time operation, my job, if if I hadn't uh, read dream golf in 2013 and, and gone out there and experienced it just because it, it had the same connections to links golf that, that I had felt when I was 20 years old, but seeing that, that somebody and a group of people had the audacity to, to make it real, um, because they were so passionate, you know, that, that has really stuck with me since that time. And, um, it, it was such a pleasure playing with you this, this past summer and, and just really a treat talking to you today.
1: Well, thanks, Matt. And i got to tell you, i really enjoyed uh, that day with you and our conversation since then. And uh, Dr, Dr. Joseph Parent, uh, an amazing person. Uh, and, and of course, Ben Miller, who, uh, as far as genre is concerned, with the Shivas Irons. uh, Tremendous guy, big shoes to fill there from Steve Cohen, but I think he's doing a terrific job and doing it in his own way. And I appreciate what you're doing with your organization and uh, uh, your audience, uh, knowing what your audience wants and how to
0: find a way to meet those needs. Well, thank you. And and hopefully we get to see you uh, in October. We're going to be just a day after the Shivas Irons Society and and Dr. Joe's going to be up there uh, at Sand Valley playing with uh, their group for a couple days and, and sticking around and playing with our group for a couple days. So hopefully there's some overlap. And, and if it fits your schedule, we see you then. Yeah, I'd love that, Matt. Uh, we'll see if we can do that. Great. Well, thanks again, Bob. Uh, have a great rest of the day and, and be well. Thank you, Matt. You too.